I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello and welcome. It's time. We're here. It's time for you to sit down in your seat to join us. Grab a drink, grab a beer, sit down, outdoor, stand up. I don't care. You can get active while you're listening to this podcast. If you like to work out while listening to our podcast, please contact us. We'd like to know because I'm often curious about podcast listening habits, Kenneth Shepard. Mm. I, I, I listen to them almost exclusively when I'm running. You are a running listener. Mm-hmm. Huh. Do you do you run while you listen to Normandy FM? Uh, I usually the first listen through because I got to listen to the whole thing, make sure that it's all good and not awful, and have we have not left anything um, unbecoming of us in the show. I do well, run while listening to this first time. Well, I mean, but we we very rarely made cuts to this show. I mean. From my understanding, we've only made a few major edits uh, over the course of the show. For the most part, that's just been to keep continuity and not completely lose the thread. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm a worker. I'm a worker while I podcast. I, Eric Van Allen, enjoy listening to podcasts while I work during the Like day. writing? Yeah. I can't, I can't even fathom that. Like, I, I have no problem listening to music while I'm writing. I I can't even no I could not listen to podcasts and write I don't do I don't get what people's like hold up with that is maybe it's just it's like, like my brain operates a little bit differently but I'm so accustomed to like picking voices out of a crowd and you know I I don't have issues with very large very loud places or anything like that in fact I usually feel a little bit more comfortable in crowds and a little bit mm-hmm. more like. I, I don't get that anxiety or anything. So being around like a lot of noise is maybe that's it. Like when I'm actually trying to listen to something, I, I'll usually stop it or I'll like focus on it. But a lot of times like podcasts just kind of serve as white noise, but it depends on the podcast too. Like giant Bombcast, uh waypoint radio or two. I listen to where I'll just kind of put them on cause their episodes go kind of long and they discuss things a lot. So I can kind of like tune in and out and not really lose the thread, but mm-hmm. like the giant beast cast, which is the, the East coast giant bomb podcast, uh, is usually a lot shorter and a little bit more focused. So I'll tend to want to like, I save those for when I'm driving the car or something like mm-hmm. that. And I kind of driving, away driving is another time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. I used to, fun fact, I, I live in Austin right now, and I used to go to school at Texas Tech University, which is in Lubbock, Texas, which is about six, five and a half to six hour drive, depending on the day, uh, from Austin to Lubbock, and that's within the state of Texas. That's only like half the state of Texas, actually. Uh, 
it's driving from the middle of it to the northern part of it and i used to listen to podcasts all the time whenever i had to make that drive i would actually like save podcasts during Mm. the week and i'd be like nope i gotta drive home for thanksgiving this weekend so i'm not listening to this podcast yet because i'm gonna want it while i'm driving uh that was a game changer yeah when i worked retail like not like out on like the sales floor but like an inventory that was another time like just i would save a podcast for the long hours of isolation that that usually involved whenever i worked like um whenever i worked like retail stuff uh because i did i worked at walmart for a summer as a cart pusher and that one they would kind of get mad at us if we were listening to our earphones but it was mostly because there was one really dumb dude who would like ram the carts into the sides of cars and shit like that like we had those like you used to work at walmart so like yeah. the you know those like cart buggy things that you mm-hmm. have where you mm-hmm. kind of put them all on there and then you like have a button and you kind of guide the front and it pushes the back for you yeah uh he would like not he would just push the button and let that thing go and so often it would like ram into cars and shit like that and yeah and he would like frequently get in trouble for it uh this was the same employee who later tried to start a fight with me (laughs) we are both employees outside the walmart uh i guess we're getting into real story hours here on normandy fm (laughs) but uh he uh yeah he was an interesting 19 year old (laughs) um yeah 19 year old uh who always bummed cigarettes and i can't remember i th- no i don't think he i don't think he was the one who had a kid who stopped by all the time that was the other guy who was actually really cool um but yeah interesting and mm. but what see when i worked retail i always listened to music because that one mm. was like easier and and like when i worked at a, a bookstore for a little while uh, the only time we could really get away with listening to our music was if we were either in the back, which I rarely ever was because right. there's not much to do in the back of a bookstore, uh, or when we were closing and then they'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. Because mm. uh, who cares? Yeah, when I was at Walmart, like, I mean, to, and to, to get, like, we will, we will, I swear to God, we're going to talk about Mass Effect at some point, but like, when I was, <laughs> when I was at Walmart, like, I switched to between three different jobs while I was there over the course of, uh-huh. like, five years. I started out overnight stalking they did not give a shit about anything at that point like i came yeah, in because it's over where yeah like i came in wearing like out of dress code stuff like i remember like even when they were trying to be a little bit more on that i would like i remember came in like with a last of a shirt and no one said a word like my manager asked what that shirt was and what it meant so i got to explain the last of us for like an hour of my shift um then i went into inventory and then they cared they didn't care at first, but then, like, there was a point where somebody who worked in the back, not at our store, but, like, at Walmart in general, nearly ran over a customer with a giant pallet because he had his headphones in. <laughs> and for a while, like, they, you know, they were very, like, don't do that. But then, like, eventually, as all things eventually did, they they kind of stopped worrying about it. And then everyone kind of just slowly got back into what they were doing but then i did end up working electronics and that was where it got worse because you know like you're on the like floor a, like yeah, you gotta like, like actually like talk facing to people job. Yeah. yeah and that's like when i was working at the bookstore most of the time i'd either be doing um cashier duties which was you know just running the cashier um the register and then like other stuff like you do uh 
like price labeling so they'd bring me like boxes mm. of books and i'd have to like search at the isbn number and like you know be like oh okay this is how much this should cost and like print out the sticker and put it on which is actually pretty fun because you can get into like weird mist one time I, we had a nancy drew box set come in that was like the old nancy drew books but that specific printing was like super rare this is a used bookstore um and it turned out that i like looked it up on amazon and it was like selling for 500 dollars for the set and stuff Ooh. like that it was so rare so obviously we only marked it to like 75 bucks and put it out on the floor but uh, you never know that kind of stuff i think it actually sold on amazon because they like listed some of their rare stuff on amazon as well i think it sold pretty fast so mm-hmm. um that kind of stuff is always interesting to me because like podcast listening i feel has become such an integral part of american life at this point like yeah look at examples of us we have a podcast any any old yahoos can start a podcast and start running it (laughs) uh and it feels like not only does everyone have a podcast and luckily i think we do a good job of making sure that we have a good reasoning for having a podcast and normally outside of today (laughs) having a greater focus (laughs) on what we podcast about uh, rather than just being a podcast where it's like, oh, hey, we're we're two guys and we're talking about what's going on in our lives. It's like, nobody wants to listen to that, Dave. <laughs> but uh, it, everybody has one, and I feel like listening to podcasts has just kind of become the, the new thing that you do in your off time. It's like you, you don't tell people, you know, like, oh, I'm listening to this new album. You're like, no, I'm listening to this new podcast where they, like, yeah. investigate murders in small-town America, and that's, like, the popular stuff right now. Yeah. Don't don't come to me with that Red Scare come town crap. I don't want... <laughs> <laughs> Here on Normandy FM, we keep it clean, goddammit. <laughs> we only talk about how horny we are for alien species. Um, mm. And speaking of, we're heading to Thessia today. We um, are home of the asari arguably some of the horniest aliens to ever exist I mean, uh, like a major pillar of their culture yeah it's spreading the love this is a really interesting part of the game because i feel like for the longest time in mass effect we've just gotten glimpses of who the asari are mm-hmm. but we've never really gotten a sense like i the thing even after this mission that i always felt was like i want to know what it's like to grow up as an asari i want to know what the cultural fact because we get an idea with like you know the turians they have their mandatory military service we get a very strong idea of what their species identity is like how they come to think as a a greater culture same with the salarians we get an idea that they have a shorter lifespan they're very science oriented oriented um very focused on things that they can do that are not you know very different from krogan or Tarian. they're not military they're not aggressive but they try to affect things in other ways maybe more politically oriented more scientifically oriented uh but the asari i feel like we even still in this mission do not get a strong idea of what their culture is but we get some idea and it is very like the fact that we're going to thessia we're looking for an artifact, but we're going into like a temple and stuff like that. Even just the idea that a temple holds such significance mm-hmm. to the Asari kind of gives us a clue about how they view the world. And so I thought this was like a really interesting setup for the mission. And we're obviously we're going here because we're looking for uh, an artifact that might hold the key to finding the catalyst, which is the mm-hmm. at this point the thing that 
we know will make our crucible do the thing like it's it's still kind of nebulous at this point in the story how all this is going to tie together but we just know that if we want to use the crucible we need the crucible we need the catalyst the catalyst is either part of the crucible or some sort of fuel for the crucible something like that that's going to make the thing do the thing um and this is also kind of cool because we get a real sense of the fact like we get to see what an Asari military team looks like because we've seen a lot of the commando units and stuff like that. Mm. But seeing them actually like trying to fight is super interesting to me because you get kind of the sense early on as you land on Thessia and you're starting to see all the things uh, happen around you, all the, the horrors happen around you. You kind of get the sense that I think the Asari were maybe the least prepared for what was going to go down. Yeah. You know, the Turians have that military backing like even when you show up very early on in the attack you know they're losing palavin but they're not they haven't lost palavin and they're holding out and they're kind of gaining ground they just need some help to get it back but the asaris at, at every turn seem like they're barely holding on they've got barricades up in the streets you can tell that civilians have been either evacuated or annihilated for a long time uh it's it's a very this kind of sets the tone that like yeah you need to finish this because the reapers are going to win if you don't like right it is it's kind of like the point where and like not even just in Thessia but like every conversation that comes after it you really get the sense that we're starting to lose this war mm-hmm. and you know for all the Asari's posturing is like the, you know the most advanced species they are the ones that are like symbolic of that shift because like we I mean not to skip to the end but like Thessia is not, pro- like, we're going to lose Thessia by the end of this mission. Right. And that's why, like, I think it's super critical, and I, I'm kind of kicking myself because the first time I played this mission, my team was, I knew that there was some interesting tie-ins, so I brought uh, Javik and Liara because mm-hmm. they literally have, like, crucial scenes Uh where you learn a lot about the background of the Asari as you're doing this, and you get kind of that sense. Whereas I think this time around, I I brought Garrus and Liara, and mm-hmm. it was less interesting. You still get some cool scenes with yeah. Liara, but uh, the Javik stuff is surprisingly in depth, especially for like a DLC character. Like right. he has like, solo scenes and stuff like that, where it's he, yeah, just like, him talking I, about the place. Yeah, like I've typically brought the Caden and Liara with me every time, but then like I think it was you know maybe two or three playthroughs in, I realized, like, I had heard that Javik added to this mission, and it was, like, some of the scenes felt so tailored to him mm-hmm. that it was, it's, like, I feel like this might have been written in some version of the game where Javik wasn't a DLC character at that point, because it is, like, you you bring this guy along, and it, I don't really see, like, it, it, it feels like it's made for him, and it feels like, how like, how is this character optional? This is something... This is a bold pitch from me here. This is a bold pitch. Mm. What if... What if... Mass Effect 2, the ending where Shepard dies... What if that <laughs> could become canon? And in Mass Effect 3, you play as a Javik who's been brought back to life... And has to lead the forces... The, the allied forces together to fight the Reapers. Like, Javik becomes a stand-in for Shepard... And so then you have to play as this character, and you're kind of seeing it all through his eyes. I will say, like... That would be rad, man. That's, like, as outlandish as that sounds, like, I don't know who else would, like, 
be able to be that like figure. It would have to be a new character, and it would have to be a character that they would have a good reason for them to kind of be an outsider and have to be bringing all these forces together and not just be like participating with one of the sides. Like it couldn't be someone who's already ingrained in the politics of like, you know, Asari or Salarian mm. or Turian. It would have to be someone who is a perceived outsider like Shepard is because the only reason that Shepard's an outsider here is because the actual human forces are all just locked down on Earth. Like, there's, the alliance is on Earth, and humanity is on Earth right now. And so, the idea that, like, you would have to be an outsider, I think it'd be, like, and granted, that's a lot of work to put in for an ending that I imagine not many people would port forward to to Mass Effect 3. But that could be, like, an interesting way of just being like, hey, we want to still have people play Mass Effect 3 Maybe it's not Shepard's story. Maybe it's just like a what if scenario. But mm. it, it's what I was thinking about when I was seeing some of these Javik scenes. That like, man, it would be really cool to play this game from his perspective. Because yeah. uh, it's it's a very sad story too. You know, he's kind of woken up and he's the only one left, and he knows that there will never be another Prothean. And after he dies, that will be the end of his race. Like, there's there's no hope for him in the future. Mm. Um. Another interesting thing that I thought of, I don't know why I thought of this while I was playing this, but I was thinking about one of the Asari things that they talk about a lot is the idea that it's seen as, like, strength to mate with other species Mm. to, like, gain their traits and stuff. Maybe I missed a scene, but did anybody ever make a pass at Javik? Because... I would think that if the Asari are, like, so, priding but... themselves on that genetic diversity, that getting a Prothean Asari baby would be pretty high up on the the, the to-do list. You know, if the, the literal wasn't going to-do on, list. If, if, if the war wasn't going on, I feel like that would have been, like, a plot point that they would have touched on. That would have been funny to have, like, Javik just be like, this is the third message, or the the third message i've gotten from an asari trying to message me about having a child with them and shepherd being like only three he's like no third today <laughs> and, <laughs> and he just like opens the message log and it's just all these <laughs> like that would have been fun i would have liked that um now that we're not thinking about all these asari trying to bone javik uh there is a really cool part in here that i wish we had seen more touches of so as you're kind of fighting through all these blockades, you're kind of getting through them in various different ways. The And the ones that stick out to me that I thought really cool was you get another mounted gun sequence, which we only had one of. Or no, I guess two of if you did the... You could count that one, uh, the the Rannoch mission where you save the, the mm. captain as a mounted gun portion. Yep. But uh, you get a mounted gun part here where you're kind of trying to defend the blockade against all the husks that are rushing it which is really cool but there's a part later on where the game basically gives you this high-powered sniper rifle and then it like heavily implies that it wants you to pick off these enemies from a distance along with the other asari sniper that you found and i i found myself kind of wishing that the game did more of that because there's one of the cool things about Mass Effect 3 is that they don't limit you to certain weapons anymore. That they just said, mm. like, you can use whatever weapons you want. You just, you know, you take uh, a hit to how fast your powers recharge, depending on how many you carry. And I thought that was a really good way of implementing the same ideas that they had with the archetypes of Shepard, where, you know, like, 
you know, a shepherd who's more focused on biotics isn't going to use a lot of weapons because their weapons are their biotics. Whereas, like, a soldier shepherd is very much focused on the weapons. Uh, and that's a cool way to, like, balance it out to say, like, hey, you know, if you want to be super proficient in biotics and still carry a ton of weapons, that's great, but that's going to take you more time to use those biotics. You know, it, it was a cool way to balance that out and reflect those changes, but I felt like the game rarely took advantage of the fact that you can use all these different weapons in different scenarios and maybe that's just because there's not a lot of weapon types you have like pistol machine pistol assault rifle shotgun sniper rifle that's really about it a heavy weapon i guess too but I, I felt like i never used heavy weapons in this game and it's you'd have to pick them up in this game like you don't have them in your loadout yeah which was another thing that i think i ultimately missed from mass effect 2 was that having that heavy weapon that i always knew i could rely on and just be like okay you know time to bring out the big gun like here comes the collector laser rifle which is arguably the best gun in all of mass effect um (laughs) you know that was that was a cool feeling being like you know when you when you slung that thing out from your back you're like all right it's time to do some damage but here was it's just kind of like yeah you know there's a there's another flamethrower line over there cool neat like uh I thought that that moment where you get to pick up the sniper rifle and you're like taking people out from a distance, it really feels like Shepard is the soldier that adapts on the fly, that mm. reacts to the battlefield, that sees an opportunity and is enough of a soldier that they can pick up a sniper rifle and still operate it at a high level, even if they're not like mm. super spec into that. And right. really, so at this would... point, we're like fighting all the different Reapers. We're fighting all the different types. I yeah. think at this point, every type of Reaper has mm-hmm. been introduced. So this is kind of the combat test of the game, right? This is them saying like, okay, we're going to throw everything we have at you. Let's see how you handle it. And so the idea that Shepard starts to adapt, that Shepard starts to have to take advantage of these things because that's the only way they're going to win. They can't just brute force their way through anymore is an interesting idea. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you now, I played this game probably 10 times, maybe more. Um, I think it speaks to the fact that I am so, like, invested in my playstyle. I don't know where you're talking about or when that happens. The sniper rifle part? Dude, no, it's, because it's so I, cool. Because, like, I immediately jump in and I'm charging, I'm Nova and I'm shotgun. Like, I'm... Unless somebody else uses that sniper rifle, call Gareth down, he can use it, but... Yeah, there's... It's right at... As you get to Outpost Tychus... And there's mm. a sorry sniper, and that's where you get the sniper rifle mod and the the widow sniper rifle. And she's like, let's try and pick them off from a distance before we move in. And that's where you can kind of like pick everything off. And then you know that's usually why I brought Garrus was because he's also a sniper. So then like you really get some firepower on this part because yeah. it's you two and then the sorry sniper all just kind of like raining fire down upon this uh, far off squad. So. That's interesting. I mean, I guess on some level, like, yeah, you're going to get stuck in your playstyle, but I like it when they find ways to encourage you to break out, and I guess, obviously, that did not work for you. (laughs) Um, And then we break through even more, like, even some Harvesters, which I thought the Harvesters were kind of a pushover. Like, I think they're, they're really big, but I think they're honestly, like, some of the easier enemies to deal with in this game. Uh, Yeah, like, by this point, because like, there were the initial parts like those that mission on Tachanka where they were a little bit more challenging just because like you're not the powerhouse that is like in the level 50 60 range the, the ones your, that uh, the ones that always get me are the the ones with all the legs that have the the guns on the side of them with the laser sights you know what I'm talking about the ravagers yeah those guys yeah. 
fuck yeah. me up every time, man. You get like three of those, and you don't get behind cover fast enough, and you're just dead. They literally just yeah. kill you in one shot. It's it's wild. Um, but then we finally get to uh, to the temple of uh, a Thame. I think is how I, I pronounce it. I, that that sounds right. Uh, which oddly sounds like Athena, as if you think about it, but. Um, we find all the scientists dead, which sucks. <laughs> and uh, we're looking around, and we get this little moment where we can kind of explore the history of the Asari uh, if we want. And if you have Javik, and oh, if you have Liara there, she gives you some history. If you have Javik, well, Liara's required. Oh, right, Liara's required for this mission. Sorry. Um, but Javik like expands on stuff. Again, this is like a moment where he really shines. Where uh, yeah. you know he's pointing out some stuff that's like kind of maybe making Lear question a lot of what she's been told over the years and stuff. That's like really cool, but yeah. uh, it's you also this is kind of the big revelation, right? And this this was maybe the coolest part of the mission for me was realizing that there's a Prothean beacon in the mm-hmm. temple, and that's like why the asari are so advanced is because they've had this beacon here that gives them that mm-hmm. knowledge and that's yeah, and th- that's just and cool just, and there's a point even where like it, i don't remember it ever being explicitly said otherwise but um apparently like withholding prothean technology is like a criminal act in citadel yes. space yeah so like the you know the corruption runs very deep in the asari government and the asari culture I mean, and so this- like not only do you have, like, Liara having to deal with that, but then she's also got Javik over here kind of, like, being, like, your people, the, everything that your people have, has done is based on what we did. Like, you have not made the future and this life for yourselves. It's based on everything that you took from us. And just, like, Javik is shitting on her whole life. Well, and I think that's, like, an interesting... Like, that's why I brought up earlier the idea that the Asari... Uh, want to like mate with other species and stuff like that because it kind of gives you an idea of this like almost built-in imposter syndrome in Mm. their culture like the idea that everything they have is built on what they've learned from other people and that they're not they do not create you know they can only emulate they can copy but they they don't have much that they can say they've created and it's it's a lot of it is just that they are very empathic you know they can absorb thoughts and ideas from other people and they have a very long lifespan so they have those in it advantages over other species but uh it gives you an idea of why asari culture has kind of come to be what it is and it is like from what i understand from reading up on this before we got into this podcast it is like kind of a controversial thing that it's some people did not like this aspect um I, th- I think it's the Asari up to this point had always been kind of pristine you know this idea that they yeah. are just so advanced they're so cultured like there's miles ahead of everybody and there's kind of this allure about them the idea that they were just I mean it's it's the same shit we saw in Star Trek it's the same shit you see in any sci-fi this like it often female only advanced race that is super advanced but they're hiding like a a secret that that's the reason why and i think so often it gets played into a way of them being like tricksters and stuff like that which is really shitty it's a shitty way to take that trope but like here i thought it was just more of like a humbling moment for 
Liara, yeah. because Liara, I think, has broken a lot of the Asari norms. You know, right. Liara is someone who made her own path and made her own destiny. She became the shadow broker and a brilliant scientist. Uh, she's so dangerous to the idea of Asari norms that the matriarchs are literally, like, putting a tail on her uh, to make sure that mm. she stays in line and doesn't upset the balance. And... I would have maybe liked to see that emphasized a little bit more as Liara is like the new world order for the Asari. And, uh, but it, it is kind of that moment where you kind of learn that like, yeah, everybody's got these fuck ups. <laughs> and like, yeah, because like this entire Mass Effect 3 specifically, this entire game is kind of like dealing, like grudging up all these uncomfortable topics for all these people mm-hmm. and kind of like, dealing with them because like you know the reapers are here we've got a bigger problem than all of our petty grudges all of our petty secrets well, so like ent- yeah I, I i feel like the asari need to have their moment of that as well which they you know, like this isn't even really hinted at up until this point because like right we don't we get this mission through the asari counselor and she's like very secretive about whatever it's about so like it is this thing that like all the, like so many people know but nobody talk about and the fact that it took them, like, basically about to lose their home world was, they were like, yeah. okay, we need to finally, like, hop to this. Like, there's just, we have to, or else no one will ever have this knowledge. And that is, that's at least, like, a sign of growth that they understand that much. And so just rather letting it, like, perish and no one ever knows. But, right. like, like you mentioned, this is a game about revisiting kind of every species original sin in some way right like the humans were arrogant and tried to seize more power than they wanted and so they put themselves at the front of the bulkhead and took the bulk of the first attack by the reapers Mm. like that's that's what happens to them and then the salarians and the turians have to cope with the fact of what they did to the krogans and the the quarians have to deal with the geth like mm-hmm. there there's so much of addressing these you know greatest sins from a species and overcoming them and moving past them that you're kind of like yeah the general theme is that you're breaking the cycle of the reapers but it's also like it fascinates me because i think with this and having javik here as well having that link back to what the protheans were like we get very early on in javik's you know storyline is dialogues and stuff the protheans were far from perfect Mm -hmm. they were basically ancient rome enslaving every species and bending them to their rule and destroying them if they didn't follow it and you can kind of see how the reapers cycle was not just like logical because it established this very easy through line for harvesting but it also in some ways encourage these species to all turn on each other and create this havoc that would let them slide in and easily strike them apart. And for them mm-hmm. to break the cycle of the Reapers is not just, you know, destroying the actual Reapers. It's finding a way to work together as a galaxy to, to work mm-hmm. as one against a common enemy. And so in some ways that's like a really interesting thing that i wish was maybe explored a little bit more you know we'll get to stuff with leviathan where they kind of bring up ideas like that yeah, well, like very faint ideas of that but um it's well, something even, it's something really interesting even, to me yeah like, but even in this mission because we're going to talk about a character that we're about to meet we learned that this is all kind of by design like not necessarily the specifics of what happens but like the way that sort of like the puppet masters of this galaxy have engineered everything to be like 
the the thing that makes this cycle different is that they're actually starting to acknowledge that these things are happening between these different species, and that in order for us to break the cycle, we have to acknowledge them. It's yeah, and so we can we can talk about that. So we meet. As we activate the Prothean Beacon, we meet Vendetta, who is a Prothean VI that was hidden away in the Temple of a Thame. And we kind of learn a little bit about, you know, how all of this works. And he, he brings up, he's saying that the cycle has already reached his, its extinction terminus, which is like, you have passed the point where you can stop this from happening. It's not possible to stop it anymore. And... As we, you know, you make a good point that you compare it to um, Vigil. This is very much yeah. like a Vigil moment for Mass Effect 3. But I, f- I found this one a little bit more interesting just because we are learning more about, like, again, as you say, like, mechanics of what this is. Like, we get a very solid idea of why all this is happening. He mentions, he talks about the, the Crucible is not Prothean made and... It's, it's actually been iterated on over and over and over again. This this idea that so many cycles have gotten... Have not just tried to fight against the Reapers, but have gotten to this point. <laughs> like, mm. the, the idea that so many came so close, and we are still falling behind the curve. We cannot do better. And um, Vendetta, one of the other cool things they mentioned, the Protheans found similar patterns of evolution and dissolution... In all these different cycles, they each happen along different paths, and there's been a lot of issues of, oh man, there's been synthetics and organics fighting each other, there's been indoctrinated groups that try to overthrow things, there's structure of galactic politics, there's, there is like a greater pattern that is happening, mm-hmm. and the ultimate motive is always to serve the harvest, but it's like this idea that not only is the reaper harvest happening again but like we are literally repeating history over and over again like mm. that that's the cool part like that's the part that i really love about this yeah yep and there's and you know it's a small line but it's a very significant one that he, he insinuates that the reapers are merely a part of this they're not sort of mm-hmm. the facilitators of it right they're they are a tool and that's kind of the the other thing that we start to con- better contextualize what the reapers are and that, like, they are the tool to a means, but they're not exactly driven of their own desire to do this. Mm. They were just made to do this, programmed to do this, this is what they do. But, and, and you know, in some ways they are, like, AI that has evolved past a certain thing, but they were designed with a directive in mind. Mm. And again, we will get way more into this when we get to Leviathan, and obviously the last episode of the season, but... Uh, we start to get a sense that that is what's going on. And this was a lot of stuff that I actually missed the first time around I played that I was really grateful to get a little bit more of this time around. Because I think the first time I played this, I was just kind of like, yeah, 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 develop along lines. I know all this already. Let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> like, no. But there's a lot of stuff that's like heavily intimated or implied here that really starts to paint a larger picture of what the mass effect universe is like mm. and and like what the cycle is um and so finally <laughs> we're introduced to another character that we've already been introduced to but he's just gonna show up anyways and be like i'm kai motherfucking lang <laughs> like, 
God. Time for the time for the really cool mission to get. Uh, tr- like, I. Is it fair to say that it makes Thessia like the worst mission in this game? Yeah, this this fight. If not a contender, like sucks. a contender, I don't know. Like, uh, okay. So let's, we, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So first, we have a little bit of a discussion with the elusive man again, and we basically get full on confirmation that yes, like Cerberus is indoctrinated. They are mm. what you know. They Vendetta had mentioned that the reason the Protheans were unable to finish the Crucible was because of an indoctrinated Splinter group. And it looks like that is very much the same thing that's happening again in this cycle with Cerberus. And we get a little bit of an argument with the elusive man where you're really starting to get a sense that he is just so far gone and does not realize it. Like there are definitely shades of Saren going on here Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. he's starting, as you say, he's echoing their ideology and he's like, you know, maybe we don't need to destroy them. Maybe we can find a way to control them or change their mind you know what if we yeah, there's a middle point let's take a shepherd there's a there's a middle ground not far in one direction or the other <laughs> fucking centrist elusive man over mm. here <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the elusive boogeyman <laughs> shit um so <laughs> That's a good part, Dad. Anyway. Um, so, oh, I'm keeping that shit. Oh, fine, fine. I'll live with that then. Come out my mentions. <laughs> so then we we basically are like, okay, there's no talking to this guy. So we're just going to have to fight Swordy McSword Bro. And God, this this fight sucks, dude. This fight really sucks. So, like, it's not a fun it, the, fight, first of all. Let's get that out of the way. Like, There's not much that's happening that's like super interesting in this fight. No, like, I I took literally zero hits from Kyling himself. Like, because, okay, he, he kind of operates like a, like a super-powered phantom. Like, he, yeah. because they, they've got the sword, and, like, I don't think he has, like, the same one-hit kill uh, move that they do. But, like, that, he, he's got the same fighting style. Like, you know, don't get too close, because then he can hit you with a sword. But the thing that happens repeatedly is, like, you get him down to a certain amount of health, and then he, he like, shoots, like, a biotic barrier down... And then a gunship comes up behind him, shoots you to that you have to get into cover, and he recharges, and then you do it again. And you do it, like, three times. And the, I feel like the, the fight itself is the reason that Kyling falls flat so hard as, as an antagonist. It's because, like, if they had made this fight hard and, like, interesting, I could believe what comes next. But, like, you're literally, like, you're winning this fight. Yeah, like, if The they... whole time. Like, like there are games, very well-known, very well-respected games, that do the boss fight that you lose. And I don't inherently hate the concept or idea of a boss fight that you cannot win, but I only don't like it when it's not readily clear that you are supposed to lose this fight. Like, they need to make it... It needs to be short enough that you understand that the things you're doing are futile without having it be long enough that... You're like, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to lose this fight. Uh, and it also needs to be a thing where it's like, you know, if, if you can beat it, you can beat it, you know. And and that's what we end up doing is the clear thing for this is beating Kai Lang. It's not losing. But in the cutscene, we lose, which is just bizarre. It's 
it's it's bizarre and it's not a fun boss fight either because it's basically like the gunship with a superpowered phantom which is like really it's just not interesting we've seen like cool enemy like i think the enemy design in general in this game is very good and that's like you know as we've talked about the multiplayer and stuff like that that's very reflective of how well done the combat in this game is and how good the enemy variety is and the idea that they have to come up with a boss character and the thing they come up with is just a phantom with machine gun support is just like (laughs) god yeah and and to get them like another thing that makes this fight obnoxious is they are trying so hard to like establish Kylie and Shepard as like these rival characters like I can't even I'm, like I can't like a, a good example of that doesn't really immediately come to mind, except for like for some reason like the Sonic Adventure games come to mind when like like you have these characters that you've established throughout the entire game. <laughs> That's a real this is a weird really weird example, but like it's like throughout the entire example. so <laughs> but, really throughout good. Sonic Adventure two, throughout <laughs> Sonic Adventure two like they establish Sonic and Shadow as rivals. So like by the time that you get to the boss fights and they're like having like this banter and like this back and forth. Yeah, it's believable. Like you get it, and the same with like Rouge and Knuckles. Like you like, you fought like each other like twice at that point, and you know it, it just it makes sense. Like you establish these these two are equals, and so like when you win, like it feels like this actual like triumph. Like you overcome this ongoing rivalry. But now like okay, so Kylie's not even a character. So like when he like you give him dialogue in any any fashion, and it's just like. Why? Why are you? Why are you coming for me? Like I don't like you. Don't know me, dude. Like we don't. Like we're we are not actual. Like it, it doesn't make any sense for us to like be on this level where we can have like this really personal insults like in the middle of fighting. I just it's like it's so cartoonish and it's 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 ridiculous. It's just <sighs> so it's it's a like so like there are characters like Saren like and. Like, other characters like that, that you establish these things throughout a game with, and, like, Bioware's done that. Like, I just don't get why Kyling was, like, so Sarah hard was, for them to, like... Saren was a great villain. In retrospect, yeah. like, going back, like, Saren's a great villain. Uh, I wouldn't say Harbinger's great, but he is at least memorable. And, you know, like, he has a very distinct personality and appearance, and, like... You know, he has the whole thing with, I am assuming, direct control. And, like, Mm. that's... He's very memorable, at least. But the worst thing about Kai Lang is, like, the one time you actually fight him... I I think you don't fight him on... uh, No, you fight fight him twice. You fight him... Oh, you fight him again later. Right, right, right. I always... Yeah, see, I forget that you fight him more than once. (laughs) It's... um, (laughs) It's so... It's... he's just not memorable he's memorable in how bad he is and he just comes off as a joke and we're gonna really hit peak kai lang here in a minute don't worry we hit peak kai lang in this episode uh but this whole mission ends up basically ending on a fart because it's just like oh yeah kai lang pulls some cutscene bullshit destroys vendetta and gets out of there and we or he, no he takes vendetta takes, yeah yeah, yep. yeah but he destroys the temple and everything and Thessia's going down and you know we we go back to this very somber note of like you know shepherd's back on the normandy and shepherd's having to tell the asari counselor that Thessia has fallen and cerberus is winning and like everything's gone terrible and you get this real sense of failure that's really good but it's 
it's there's, unearned. There's like, a there's it, a it, fart in the room. You know, like Kai Link has farted in the room and left, and you're just kind of sitting there and like there's a lot going on, but you just keep getting a little whiff of that. You know, it's like oh god, ugh. oh man, and, like, I forgot that like, happened. And, and that's the thing is like the fall of Thessia is such a good scene. Like the scene after where you're trying to like you're trying to tell the counselor what's happening, and she's just like not getting it. Like you have to like finally be like no, we lost. Like you need to like understand the gravity of what's happening. Like she yeah. even says like like after she finally starts to get it, she like says something along the lines of like I need to put some things into motion like the continuity of our people needs to be you know accounted for here and then like before Shepard can even like say I'm sorry like she's disconnected like she's distraught all of that is great and it all could have been like there could have been like this real genuine thread of failure that has like it has been like a recurring thing throughout this game because like you know the kid like on earth and like just knowing like you know and you lose Thane you lose Legion like you lose Morden like they're like it is not unearned for this game to, like, kind of be punching you in the gut repeatedly, except when it has to force your failure through fucking cutscene magic. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it sucks, man. It just sucks. <laughs> so, and, like, okay, and before we get to, like, all the actual serious stuff yes. that happens after, we should talk about the fact that he slides into your fucking Yeah, so that's... What, yeah. Pete Kyling. Pete well, let, let fucking Kyling. God. Let me get... Damn. I want to pull that email up. I want to read it. I want to have a dramatic reading. This reply guy motherfucker. God. Alright, okay. It's okay. Here so, we go, here we go, here we go. It's so bad. Alright. <clears throat> so it, it is titled Evacuating Thessio. Like, so it's... You know, you're supposed to think that this is, like, something that you're actually needing to read. And then, so, you open it up, and it says... Good, you opened this message. This isn't actually a sorry, a sorry military command. They're busy tending to what's left of their planet. So you survived our fight on Thessia. You're not as weak as I thought. But never forget that your best wasn't good enough to stop me. Now an entire planet is dying because you lacked the strength to win. The Legend of Shepard needs to be written. I hope I'm there for the last chapter. It ends with your death. That's the best part. <laughs> that he clarifies XO, his <laughs> threat at the end. He's like, by the way. <laughs> the end XO, is your XO, death. gossip, Kyling. Oh, while you were studying the the dancing, I was studying the blade. <laughs> like, oh my god. So, you know the best part? As I was looking up just now to pull up a copy of Kai Lang's email, there's a mod for PC Mass Effect that just removes that email from the game. Fair enough. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's good. Good job, Mass Effect 3 modders. You did the one thing that really needed to get done. Uh, so... But we move on here. So this is more stuff that's kind of uh, ambient Normandy stuff before we get to Sanctuary. Uh, it seems like you were hitting... So I'm trying to remember some of these beats because I remember some of these. Um, Garrus, uh, you know, hears back from his family. They safely got off Palavin. That's very nice. Um, but yeah, again, this is like a lot of the conversations that happen now give you like a real real sense that you are losing the war that like Mm. things are going poorly and uh you know you mentioned here like conventional means have held them back but they're not like succeeding in the long run uh and we also get to talk to tally tally gives a little pep talk and all that and so here are two so here's one situation that i think i remember this is you get to have a real heart to heart with joker and yeah uh so 
We should just, talk because like there are two ways this can go down. We yeah. should talk about both of them. So there's the renegade way, which it sounds like you've done. I've never done that. I think the so I'm trying to remember what exactly the conflict was because I think I well, might have so, actually not done this yet in my playthrough. Oh, because okay. fun fact, like right after Sanctuary is where I stopped playing for a very long time. Oh, okay. And so like I kept it intentionally halted here. So there were actually okay. I think portions of this game that i have not gotten to yet and this might be one of those dialogues i think the other one that you have listed here is another one of them but uh so i actually plan on getting to those pretty soon because now i finally have time and i need to do it before fire emblem comes out (laughs) um the joker one i'm I'm trying to remember how exactly this one plays out i'll run through it um so you you know after that has been lost you can go to him and he says something along the lines of like uh, Sothethia, huh? I guess they sorry wish they had more soldiers than dancers, huh? And then so oh. Shepard, right, so Shepard, like, there's a, a Paragon and Renegade choice here first, and, like, both of them kind of boil down to, like... Fuck off. <laughs> do, you, do you not realize, like, the scale of what just happened? And then, like, and, you know, the Renegade options, like, you know, I put it up with your shit for, like, the past however many years, but this is going too far. Like, do you not understand what's happening? And so, like, what happens here first is, like, he points out that, like, he pulls up uh, a scan of a, a certain planet. It's like it's, I think it's called Tip Tree, and he says this is where his sister and father are, and the Reapers have come in, and he hasn't heard from them since. Um, and then so Shepard be like, "Well, then why are you joking about any of this?" And then so Joker can say, "Anderson is telling me to look after you. You're, like, your your suit's metabolic scans say that like you're under more stress than like this is where he'll bring up your background. Be like." talk about like on Torfin where you got your entire squad through put through a meat grinder or whatever you know whatever your background yeah I think mine was the survive the sole survivor was was my thing mm-hmm. um. gotcha um and then so you're after you get to that point if you get like if you take the renegade option which I've done in the past you can just say fuck off basically and it alters Joker for the rest of the game like you like there are conversations that for my first however many places I didn't see just because like you don't even get any other conversations with them no matter what wow I see I see I didn't know that because I always did like full-on paragon so I remember that he does like say he's just trying to like keep your spirits up and stuff and right. and you can kind of like let you... him down easily and just kind of be like you know just, there's a line dude but yeah and like and if you do the paragon you also like I didn't know this for several playthroughs but like he feels major survival guilt for what happened at the beginning of Mass Effect 2 because he feels like that was his fault that Shepard died and so like you know the ramifications of Shepard being dead for two years he feels like it's on him and so like is this in the this happens in the cockpit or is this uh yeah Citadel? Oh, see that's probably why I never go to talk to him in the cockpit because I always assume for this whole game I think I'd kind of assume that a lot of the major conversations happen off the ship and not on the ship and so i think i've missed a lot of conversations just because i was like oh yeah you know like mass effect 3 they're always like off the ship you didn't have to do like the running around the ship to do stuff you just go to like the citadel and they'd be hanging out there so i probably missed some stuff because of that another thing to annoy me late at night <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah like well yeah so like this takes one of two different paths because like if you take the paragon one like you have you don't miss out on some conversations and like the one the final one is very different because like mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can talk about the Renegade one because I ended up taking the Paragon one on this play on the playthrough for the show because it also because like Citadel exists in this weird pocket dimension where nothing else is actually happening so like it was always weird to me to go into Citadel on good terms with Joker despite the fact that he and my Shepard weren't speaking outside of it mm-hmm. so if you do Renegade 
like all like if you open like you know press A on him, all he'll say is like commander, like with like a sort of like a snarky like pissed off tone, and eventually you get to the, like the very last point you can talk to him before we go back to Earth, and you have the opportunity to be like you know what do you want, and then you can just be like nothing, carry on, or you can apologize to him. Hmm. So, you, it's like you get a very different conversation regardless of whatever you choose, depending because like you get. Well, I I almost spoil the Paragon one until we get there because you know that's what we're both on at this point. But yeah, it was it's because like we talked about like a lot of Joker stuff in this game boils down to him wanting to fuck Edie. But like this was the point where like they it's like they very much backloaded hmm. the best stuff of Joker. See now now I'm like eager to boot this game up and go see that content because I'm like oh I've been missing this like all along like this was kind of put away back here and. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that's like my frustration with how Bioware keeps like changing up the structure of how they've done this. Like, I, I I'm sorry that I keep going like Dragon Age, Dragon Age, but like Dragon Age was a game where I like knew that I could, and Mass Effect Two by some extent as well. I knew that like okay, I did a story mission. Now I'm going to go check in with all my crewmates and make sure like I'm caught up on all their individual trees. And, like, the trade-off is that yeah. in Mass Effect 3, you know, you get to experience their lives on the Citadel and on other places, and you get to really, like, yeah, get a like sense the... of them as, like, people and not just as, like, facets of the Normandy. But, like, the flip side of that is that it's a lot easier to miss these things because you kind yeah. of set an assumption one way or the other. So, you know, if you're used to progressing Liara's story by, like, just talking to her on the Citadel, but all of a sudden there's one where you need to talk to her on the ship or like i mean joker is a good example where i was used to like okay like joker and needy they're on the citadel somewhere i should go talk to them but like there's this whole thing in the cockpit that i've been skipping over every time like yeah that's that's a little frustrating before we we move on from joker though i feel like we need to talk about um there's an ambient dialogue plot line on the citadel Uh uh-huh that uh that we should probably touch on because if you go to the hospital um there's an Asari who has some who is like recovering from something that happened like involving the Reapers and an Asari uh like a, a counselor just kinda like talking her through it. But basically she talks about that she ended up on like on an assignment at a human colony called Tiptree. Um and while she was there the Reapers invaded. She was working with a well, let me make sure I don't get this wrong. Like she was working with like this community of humans and uh, she mentions one named Hillary, um, mm-hmm. who she befriended. And as everything's going on, like one, like once the Reapers actually invade, so basically she and this this girl named Hillary they get uh, chased in, into like away by Reaper forces, um, and then they ended up, I think they they ended up staying in like in a shuttle or in, like at some farm or something like that. Um, after two days, two days with no food and only rudimentary weapons. Uh, she realizes their only chance to retrieve or to get to a radio station where she could like actually reach out and contact people was to get to the farm signal for help. Uh, she and Hillary, and I'm reading this from the Matthew Wiki again. Um, she and Hillary sneak back and find a number of farmers still alive, unaware of the farmers' indoctrination. Hillary frees them, only for them to raise an alarm and start attacking. Uh, the Asari uses a biotics power path to escape, but Hillary broke her leg and was unable to stay quiet, let alone run. At risk of being discovered, the Asari kills the girl. The, the girl. And she's able to survive and escape, and she even gets a medal for everything. But uh, she basically had to kill the girl, and like she lost her whole family there. Um, 
that with Joker's family, and that's not pointed out to you because like it is, it's like one of those ambient dialogues you have to like right right you know, circle around the citadel to hear. But once you get to this conversation with Joker, and you hear the names of like the place that they were at, the, that her, his sister's name was Hillary, um, and then so like you put these two things together, and like it's not it's never again it's never spelled out, and like Joker never finds out on screen at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so just another wrinkle to that storyline there. See, all that's like super fascinating, and in some ways, it does like frustrate me that that's a little hidden. In the same way that like a lot of other like really interesting stuff ends up being in this game, I don't know if that's like it ultimately rewards people who are like playing and really looking for this stuff or not. But I I, I don't know. I'm I'm of two minds of it. Yeah, I mean my my read on it has always been that like Mass Effect Three has to tie up so many threads in the confines of the way that the game is designed so I think yeah you're gonna things are easily missable but like if you're the type of person that like is really looking for all that stuff you kind of learn as you go the things you need to look out for which is like you need to like you know for like one of these ambient conversations you need to go to the place and like leave and then come back so like the next part happened basically until you're you know satisfied Mm -hmm. or it's over so it's you know they still do that in like recent games as recent as Inquisition and Andromeda, but I feel like just because, like, again, in the confines of the way the game is designed, that's the only way for them to sort of, like, have these little side narratives that they don't necessarily touch the main story, but, like, they want to have them in there somehow. Because, like, it is, like, the entire time that you're uh, listening to this story about Joker's family, like, you don't realize it's them until you hear from Joker. So, like, they gotta find ways to hide these things away the way I guess it's more rewarding that way for some people. I guess. It's it like I said, I'm of two minds. I don't necessarily think it's a terrible thing, but it, it does kind of suck for me because now I'm like, okay, like I've been missing out on this all the time and now I really want to go like see it because that sounds interesting. Um I mean if nothing else is YouTube. The the other thing that I'm like loosely remembering and uh I feel like I have seen the scene, but uh where Javik and Liara kind of fight and kind of settle what's been bothering Liara, which is basically, you know, like, she finally gets a Prothean, and it's it's basically Prothean Shepard. Like, if Shepard had to go forward and describe everything about what had ever happened in Council Space and all that to another cycle, like, you're just gonna be lost on a lot of the specifics, and you're not gonna be able to give, like, a researcher what they want. But also, I think it's really, like, humbled Liara's vision of the Protheans, because I think for a long time she kind of pictured them as these, like beings of ancient knowledge and power and stuff and she's like oh they're just assholes like us <laughs> like, yeah. um well this was a itself, cool scene because of that yeah like and the fight itself like it can take one of two sort of outcomes depending on whether you choose to do the paragon interrupt that shows up because like javik is being his dickish self of just like because mm-hmm. liara's like everything you're saying is a lie my people are in their place in the galaxy and he's like no you didn't what are you talking about and Shepard can come in and interrupt and be like, don't you think that, like, do you have, like, no sense of, like, timing or tact? Like, do you think, do you not think that you owe and Liara an apology for what you're doing right now? And then Liara, he'll be like, what should I apologize for? I haven't lied. And then Liara can be like, you know, like you said, like, you should apologize for not doing more. You're a Prothean. Like, you're supposed to have all the answers. And then, she, then like, you have this moment of, like, sort of, like, reconciliation because Javik has, like, the one moment of, like, common sense to not escalate the situation and say like 
we thought you were going to be the ones to have all the answers. And then Liara calms down, and she, she's like, you know, you were primitive in my time, but, like, you were, like, we already knew, just, like, from the wisdom and the intelligence of your people, like, yeah, you were guided a little bit, yeah, you had beacons, but we, like, we had hope for you in the future. Hmm. And then Liara will leave in sort of, like, you know, a sedated state, I guess. And then Shepard can ask, like, did you mean anything you just said? And then he'll be like, well, she believes it, so that's all that really matters. Or you cannot Paragon interrupt, and then Liara leaves, and then they just, like, they're on, like, the worst possible terms. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think it's it's more interesting in the context of, like, when you had crude disagreements in the past, it was always like this, you know, which one are you going to lose loyalty for somebody in here? It's just like, no, mm-hmm. they're just arguing, man. But at the end of the day, like the suicide mission isn't something that you can, the suicide mission is one thing, but this is literally like the end of the galaxy. They don't have time to like let petty squabbles get in the way of right. that sort of thing. I think that's kind of an interesting nuance to it. Uh, but we do got to head to sanctuary because this episode's getting long. <laughs> and, um sanctuary's an interesting so it's called sanctuary but it is also horizon is horizon Mm -hmm. from mass effect 2 so there's that interesting twist to it but and also shout outs to trainer for uh for tracking mr Swordman. we have not given trainer the due shout outs (laughs) that she deserves in this episode being on the ball fuck a shadow broker we got we got a yeoman yeah seriously what the hell is liara doing she's still over here like getting receipts and shit on twitter about javix dms and all that meanwhile we're like we need to find this sword dude (laughs) um so we get to horizon and uh well so the first setup is that sanctuary is supposed to be a sanctuary right it's supposed to be safe Mm -hmm. from reaper attack and that's already kind of a red flag like why would this place not be attacked by the reapers it was even attacked by the collectors in the past like and like sanctuary is like a publicly known place like the reapers have to know about it right yeah so we get a little bit of a setup that something is amiss here and then we get oriana's message like stay away do not get do not come here and then we we kind of show up and not only are their reaper forces and Cerberus forces fighting each other which is interesting considering Cerberus is supposed to be indoctrinated and fighting for the reapers but um we find out that miranda's here too and that her father is kind of running a Cerberus front here and she's been leaving these vid messages and you're kind of following her trail to wherever she's going and this is where all the little bits all the little breadcrumbs of miranda lead to which is Mm -hmm. as we gradually find out you know this 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 whole facility is basically turning refugees into reaper forces which is super fucked up but also Mm -hmm. you start to realize that the elusive band is maybe kind of trying to do something that Saren also tried, which is he's getting a little paranoid that he himself is indoctrinated, which mm-hmm. he is, and he's trying to find a way to cure it or stop it, which Saren also tried to do. Uh, and also Miranda's dad himself, Miranda's dad is trying to control those Reaper forces and turn them around. So it's, I mean, it's always the power fantasy that falls on these dudes right they're like oh i can control it because i'm awesome why would anything not work out well for me everything's worked out great for me so far in life why wouldn't this work (laughs) and 
um, we kind of see that fallacy played over twice here. Uh, that, that like hubris that's that's just going to eventually fall on them. And as we work our way through here, first of all, I believe this this stuff is very important. We need to like hit all these info points along the way, not just to keep updated on what's happening with Miranda, but I think you only get control as an option if you see all these data points or if you follow this this plot thread. Uh, I, I don't know about that. But... I'm trying to remember exactly how it works. I just remember that this is like what sets up control as an option. Well, I don't know if it like from a mechanical standpoint, if it like is a requirement to like yeah. see all these things, but it, it does sort of like it it basically points out that like control is possible because like it is like the elusive man is here, or not not here, but not here physically, but like what he's trying to do here through Lawson is use these sort of you know these forced created husks to figure out if he can control Reaper forces and then apply that same sort of technique and logic to controlling actual Reapers. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if, like, again, I don't know, like, if there's a point that sets up you actually have the option for control later. Well, you always get the option for control. I should should be clear in, in what I say that this is, like, this is just kind of giving you the sense that, like, this is what control means and this is why this is, like, an option. It's, like, setting up that... Like, like we had in Tuchanka, where, or, or Rannoch, where it's, like, setting up both sides of the conflict. It's setting mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. that, like, why would you pick control over destroy? Yeah. Uh, also, fun fact, and I, I recall this very vividly, because when I played Mass Effect 3 the first time, and we can talk about this, like, more in, in the ending episode, but I just want to bring it up here. Uh, I never got told that synthesis was an option. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> you didn't have it. Like you wasn't. I just didn't. It, they they did not mention it whatsoever. I just had destroying control. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and and I know I had enough points to to get the 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 thing. So like, huh. yeah, I always kind of mm. wondered about that. And I, I'll do some more research. I'll verify. Granted, you know, my memory's not always the best, but that part I remember very specifically because I remember, we'll talk about it later, but mm, that's okay, okay. that's going to be some interesting discussion. I'll do some out-of-episode research here to make sure that I'm up to speed on it, but yeah. Um, mm. But the other thing we have going on here is that <laughs> sword asshole is here, and bas- yeah. basically he's creeping on Miranda the whole way. And so now we know that if we have given Miranda the resources she needs, and especially if we have warned her that Kai Lang is out on the prowl, out hunting around, uh, sliding into those DMs, uh, she will be on guard, as all people should be against Kai Lang and DM sliding. But uh, <laughs> that it's kind of goofy, because I guess the general idea is like you know she's in a cerberus base now and she's like infiltrating and stuff so if she knows that kai lang's around she know that like oh you know i may not see any forces right now but i should be aware that i could be like being stalked by this super you know sword dude and i should just you know be a little bit more cautious in everything i do not rush ahead or anything but it is kind of weird that that's like you know I just picture her, like, always being afraid of Kai Lang all the time. Like, have you ever seen the Pink Panther movies? With, uh, Steve Martin? Well, and the older ones, too, Ken. Jesus Christ. But well, I, didn't, I didn't know which one you were talking about. But, you know, you know how he's got the, the guy that he hires to attack him, to, to keep him, mm-hmm. like, on his toes? Um, 
that's that's like how I picture Miranda and Kylang. <laughs> like Miranda's like just making some cereal in the morning, but she's like super cautious because she's like, what if Kylang's in the fridge or something? <laughs> um, Eric, I it would require so many explanations as to why you're using cereal would be is funny in this situation. Okay, but Ky- <laughs> there's a scene in one of the, in the bad like the extremely bad Mass Effect book that is like considered non-canon because like the person that wrote it like basically wrote it without any like caring about the continuity of the series. But like there's a scene where Kylie's like in somebody's house what? and he literally makes a bowl of cereal for himself. <laughs> I never knew this. Well, oh my god! I just, I just mentioned cereal because I was like, <laughs> I was picturing Miranda opening a fridge and then Kyling's hanging out in there. <laughs> that's incredible. Kyling is a cereal killer. Hey, my god, that's incredible! I need to read up on that book. This is great. Um, man, why didn't you tell me that Mass Effect books were like that? I'd read them. Um, They're not usually just that one. <laughs> see, I like that. Uh, but basically, it doesn't even matter that sword dude's here because Miranda just busts his ass. Um, and and sends him packing, uh, and I mean, so we get this moment of like, you know, we get to confront Miranda's dad, and it's like the big culmination of what all has happened. Thank you for sending me the fucking comic book panel. <laughs> oh, the, the, it was it was a it was one of the novels, but like this this uh, someone drew the it. text here. The text here is like the. the like the direct quote of the book. That's incredible. Oh my god! I'll I'll, I'll post this on Twitter so like yes, anybody that that's incredible. Yeah. Um, so we get this culmination of like Miranda's whole daddy issues thing. You know, like she finally gets to confront her father after all these years, and her and Oriana get some closure. I'm trying to remember if it even was a choice because I have always just let Miranda. J- kill that motherfucker it's, but yeah it's it's i mean it's not a choice if miranda's alive but if she's not like the, there are like several different ways this particular conflict can go like not even just counting like miranda's possible like death but because like if, if miranda's dead because like from the suicide mission then like or if or if she have... was killed by kai lang i guess or well i mean I think, she like, gets she's killed... injured by kai lang let's be clear there. and then she and then she dies from her wounds after yeah yeah, it's because like there's a choice to like let him go because like Oriana's here regardless right. of whether Miranda's here or not. So like it's kind of a choice between like her life or his life, or if you know if it goes you know the absolute worst way, Oriana can end up dying as well. Um, so like, there's a lot of like different ways it can go. Like, but Miranda's always been alive for me, so she just doesn't let him get anywhere near an exit and he mm-hmm. she smashes the patriarchy right through a window see i was trying to remember because I, I was like was there like a paragon interrupt or something that you can do it's like no you just no, get to no. she kills him that's it just ending it and i kind of like it that way. like again my favorite miranda scene in this entire game happens in citadel and it's just incredible and i mean candy were there for while i was streaming it and mm-hmm. i was like good god this is just the fucking best but um <laughs> and i mean it it only happens with a female shepherd as well i think the way the way that scene plays out but it's so fucking good uh and yeah it's 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 a good time it's a good time miranda's a great character really really shines in mass effect 3 despite 
never having much of the spotlight but it's like every one of her mm-hmm. you can tell like we talked a little bit about how like man whoever writes zaid must not like zaid <laughs> like, but <laughs> whoever worked on miranda lawson really had an appreciation for what makes this character shine especially compared to mm-hmm. mass effect 2 where she kind of ends up getting the short end of the stick a few times because she has some really great dialogues in mass effect 2 but it kind of gets overshadowed by her having to be the, the ashley character of the game as well mm-hmm. and her getting to like shine on her own is just great um, yeah so we head on back to the normandy we've got a few more scenes we got to take care of uh we'll start with Edie because you do point out that this is a very good moment here where Edie is watching footage of reaper victims helping each other um and she alters her own programming to prior to 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 prioritize the preservation of others over her self preservation right and that's like that's it's a very nice moment and yes it, it is also very good because joker is like fully removed from the scene yes but uh yeah it's like get ed character moment that's nice and again it makes me wish that she was more of a highlight and you know maybe this is just like my view of the whole ed stuff as a whole it's different from how other people see that uh but yeah it, it may it, it maybe be like yeah Edie's a character in this game it is a good character in this game that can mm-hmm. exist outside of just the the gravity well of the joker ed relationship <laughs> um yeah. the the real highlight here the real highlight in my opinion even over this other one that that we're going to talk about because it is very heartbreaking but the one that that is one of my favorite scenes is tally drunk after this mission because emergency induction port yeah I still fucking say that to this day. It's, it's good. It's this is this is good. First of all, it's good drunk writing. It's, it's very well done. Yes. Uh, but as as you mentioned here, it's a lot of Tally, kind of finally starting to address the things that she never got around to addressing up to this point. You know, her mm-hmm. kind of issues with her own father. And seeing that reflected in Miranda, I like this because it like heavily implies to me that um, the the suicide mission crew was very tight knit, and that they were, mm-hmm. um, you know, they stayed in touch afterwards. That they still knew who each other were, that they stayed yeah. in contact, that they actually like talked because you get the idea that Tally had a, a relationship with Miranda, and the idea that she sees so much to admire and also like feels for how hard that must have still been for miranda to do like you get just a really really good character moment here and and the wildest mm. thing is that it's not a cutscene or anything it's just yeah that's it's just kind of a dialogue that happens if you hang around for it but i kind of like that i like that it's you know it's optional if you want to hear it all out is the ramblings of a drunk person it's going to happen whether you're there or not <laughs> so yeah um and i did like being able to like walk like around like not this sounds weird to like walk around her but it's like kind of like be able to move along with the scene as it was happening because like I, I started up like next to her and then like as she's talking I circled around like behind the bar mm-hmm. and then you know like it was you, you know that relationship between like a bartender and like a super drunk yeah, person was... at the bar it was <laughs> it was that like I, I had that moment yeah you know, of just being like like watching her just like drink herself into a stupor it was great i was gonna bring up this reminds me of a very good video game that still have yet to finish but i've played a fair bit of called valhalla 
or I, I guess technically it's called like VA 11 hall a or something like that. Mm, mm, but mm. yeah, it's, it's called Valhalla. It's like the cyberpunk bartending simulator or whatever. Um, yeah. where, where you are just like a bartender who is serving drinks to people. And as you do, so you kind of talk to them about their lives and it's, it's a very calming game. It's a very relaxing game, like good end of day game, but it's also like, you get moments like this all the time in that game where you're just yeah. kind of like talking to people about their lives. And you, it's like you said, it's that relationship between a bartender and a bar patron is practically the same as like a, a psychiatrist or a therapist in a couch, you know, like yeah. it's, it's a very similar relationship. Uh, so it's, it, it was nice having this moment. I almost kind of wish there was like a little mini game where you were mixing Tally's drinks for her while, while she's talking to you <laughs> and stuff like that would have been like a fun little neat thing to tie in there. But, uh, you know, yeah. I recognize there are limitations on video games. Um, and then we get a final scene with Javik. And I think this is a good one to end the episode on because we get this chance to see what Javik's like life was like during his lifetime and during the reaper invasion and we get this like oh my god it's yeah. it's depressing it, it should you make the decision to like because yes. like there is an option to be like no you don't need to do that so like to set a scene like you you walk in and like the first thing that's great is like if you have spoken to Tally while she's hammered mm-hmm. she's on comms like yeah. you like all of us you try to act so mean <laughs> but yeah it's so, like she's she was having she's having a moment so like you, you walk up and then he Javik is like looking into like the past of the Normandy and like he realizes like oh there was a sec- first Normandy this is, we're on the second one right now um and then he asks he asks about your romantic relationship and he's like so you and like he said to me like you and the human soldier are, are joined and he's like yeah you could say that and he's like I'm, I'm not your your pheromones are and so he's like so you have something to fight for beyond just survival it's like about you know the people that you care about and then you, you can kind of be like, did you not have anybody like that in your cycle? And then it's so like, this entire game, he's had this, like, shard that's like, it looks kind of like, like the in the Prothean um, archives on Mars, they're like, it's like, it looks like Prothean architecture. It, it looks like a very small one of those. Um, and he says it's a memory shard because, like, the Protheans have that way of, like, reading things that they can, like, like the environment, like, things that they can touch. Like, they have that sort of, like, Bordering like an Asari style, like reading of things, but if if by touch instead of mind, what what proteins would do is they would like fill memories into the shard, mm-hmm. and Javik hasn't used it since he woke up. So you have like so he points out like, would you want to remember everything if it meant also remembering like the like the pain of all of that? Because like yeah, gonna be like, if I could see Earth before the Reapers hit again. Like with something like this, I would it would be worth having to watch it fall again. So Javik, if you choose to like tell him to use it, he re- he remembers that he was kind of like the shepherd figure in a more concrete way than just like you know the avatar of the cycle. Like he had like this crew, he was he had a ship, he had you know this squad of people that he cared about. They eventually became indoctrinated, and like he had to like find them where they slept and kill them. Yeah, and there's, like, a note where he says, like, he watched them all bleed to death to be certain that they were really dead. And, like... Yeah. There's... So, do we want to talk about how this eventually affects Javik's ending in the series? Uh, I think we should hold off until... Okay, Because, okay. like, there are all those conversations we have to go through, like, on 
Earth. Yeah. Where it comes up. Yeah. So, yeah, I've always gotten him to use the shard. And I know that there's some people that don't, and I know that it can... Whether or not he does... There are, and some, also... there are some larger reaching ramifications for this that you may not have expected from yeah. using the shard. That is like... Yeah, it's a lot. We'll talk about that when we get to the next episode. But as it is... Which is very soon. Yeah, I mean, so that's it for this episode. But, like, you know, let's look at the schedule real quick. I mean, we're... <laughs> we are close to the end here. So, uh, we have a total of three episodes left. We're in the final countdown here, Ken. Did you ever mm-hmm. think we would make it this far? I mean, I know you did. Um, I mean, if if you ever tried to back out, I would just find somebody else, and we'd rename the show uh, to, like, Gave in Space or something. Wow, wow. That hurts me. That that wounds me. Hey, like, you get me started on this shit. There's no way I'm just going to stop in the middle of it. That's fair. That's fair. Before we we end the episode, we do want to shout out all our awesome patrons. Thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, I'm especially unloading up my patron list right now, so I make sure I don't miss any names because that's super important. We want to honor y'all's contributions to the show. We want to honor y'all's donations to us. So, Mr. Ruben, thank you so much for donating to us. You get the special shout-out, as well as all our other excellent patrons. If you want to ask us questions, if you want a special shout-out, all you got to do is donate to Normandy FM. That's patreon.com slash Normandy FM. Helps us keep the lights on. You can also follow us at twitter.com slash normandyfmshow. That's going to keep you up to date on all the things we're doing, as well as you can see all the excellent memes that Ken posts. He's he's on the top of his game for Normandy, for <laughs> Mass Effect shitposting. He's out here leading the pack. Y'all don't even know. You want the good Mass Effect shitposts, you head over to twitter.com slash normandyfmshow. You're going to get them. Uh, mm. We've got three episodes left, Ken. So next week, we, do. we will be hitting Leviathan. We'll be talking about the origins of it all uh, with one special guest. Uh, AJ Moser will be joining us. Uh, he's uh, mostly a freelancer. Also, most notably from Game Query. Game Query, yes. Friends, Friend, of, the friends of the show. We yeah. could not have Blake Hester on because he refuses, refuses to play Mass Effect. But uh, we'll hopefully change that sometime in the future. So... For the meantime, we just stole one of his other podcast friends to have on. So we're very excited to have AJ on to talk all things Leviathan. It's going to be a good episode. After that, we'll be finally hitting up Citadel. I'm very excited to talk about that. We are finally at Citadel. We are at... like I, I don't think you understand that since that live stream, Ken, I've just been so eager to talk about it. You know, from the fact that I've been bringing it up every ep- like every episode since... You know, it's yeah. constantly on my mind. I really, I'm, I'm very excited for that. I'm glad you finally played it. I, I am too. Like, yeah. It's, it's bizarre to think that I went that long, having not played this part that now feels like so critical to Mass Effect mm-hmm. Three, uh, especially the ending. Yeah, uh, and then three weeks from now, we'll wrap it all up in London. We'll, we'll, we'll have the Cerberus base. And then mm. London, but essentially London, and that'll probably be a pretty long episode. Looking ahead at it, yeah, I, I suspect those last two episodes could probably go pretty long—three hours. Yeah, maybe. no, we're gonna we'll hit some high marks. I mean, recently we've been pretty good about staying at about the hour, hour and a half range, but uh, those are gonna go long. Those are gonna be closer to our uh, spoiler cast length discussions there. Mm. 
Oh boy. See, I wear headphones while I podcast, so that way you can't hear Ken's voice too well in my microphone. I mean, you still do, because it's like a really good microphone that picks up stuff super easily. But uh, I'm also wearing my glasses, and I can feel the glasses pinching into the side of my head right now on these headphones. And I'm like, oh god, this is only after an hour and a half, three hours, I'm just going to hate life. Yeah. (laughs) But we do it for the podcast. We do it because we love Mass Effect. We do it because we love podcasting with each other. We love podcasting with y'all. So until next time, we will see you along with AJ Moser on our next episode of Normandy FM. We'll be talking Leviathan. Please tune in. We'll see you there.